patriarchy. The patriarchy. 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 They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. And that is Psalm chapter 92, verse 14. You are on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, and you are listening to The Patriarchy. My name is Tony DePonte, and I am joined by my co-host, Pastor Joseph Randall Spurgeon. And by the short intro today, you can tell it's a shorter episode. We wanted to actually take some time today to celebrate the uh, life and legacy of Joseph's uh, just-past grandfather, and we're going to talk about his life, we're going to talk about the legacy he's leaving behind, and Joseph, I think you also want to talk about some practical things we can take away from his life as well. So, without further ado, Joseph, I will let you take it from here. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, my, uh, my grandfather, uh, his name was Robert Spurgeon, he passed away uh, last week, and uh, he was 90 years old, and uh, man, uh it's been kind of a whirlwind. So I just got home from West Virginia um, late last night, still very worn out from it, but it was a very good time to, to go home. I mean, sounds silly to kind of say about a, a funeral to say it was a good time, but yeah, I, can see uh, how, I can see how it could be. Yeah. But what I mean, uh, my cousins and my aunt and uncle and my, you know, my grandma, and my mom and dad and brothers and well, the whole family was there. And and not on top of that, at the funeral, um, there were, uh, I, I think, like five school teachers that I had growing <laughs> up wow. that were like, wow. <laughs> just so there was like, it was kind of overwhelming hmm. yeah. in one sense of like just how many people came out to uh, um, to my grandfather's funeral for a 90 year old man, um, which I think is a testament to. Uh, yeah, absolutely. To his character and uh, the faithfulness of God in him. And so, you know, scripture teaches to honor our, our fathers and sometimes that can be hard. Uh, there's, you know, I, I, I know many people have had fathers and that were not faithful in the faith, but uh, there, then there's men like my dad and then my, my grandpa that make it really easy to do. <laughs> yeah. um, and so that's kind of what I wanted to do was just spend some time honoring him. Uh, he actually, uh, well, I'll start off with something very practical was that he was very prepared for this moment. He was prepared for death. And what I mean by that is, uh, for one, he loved the Lord and knew Jesus. So uh, one of the things he did this last year, which I'm going to read a little bit from, was he actually wrote a little short autobiography for us and had my my aunt help him put it together and (laughs) A lot was just stories that we kind of knew uh, from his life, but some of it was things I had not known. And he gave it a, wh- a while back to us this year, but I I set it aside and said I was not going to to read it until he died. I, I knew it would make me sad, so I would rather. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 want, I thought man, it might be a comfort 
when that happened. And so when he passed away, I did read it and uh, it was quite a comfort. Hmm. You can, you can hear his voice throughout it. And then, um, but the reason I'm bringing that up is in that he makes it very clear that he loved the Lord Jesus, that he talks about um, growing up in rural West Virginia. So he, you know, he was born in like 1932, October 25th in Gilmer County, West Virginia. And, and so he, he tells a little bit about his growing up on a farm and uh, a church that he went to. And there was uh, they had like these revivals, you know, that was that period of time. Uh, uh, And, and he went to one and there was this woman uh, there. uh, Her name was uh, um, Lena. And she came up to him and, you know, do you know Jesus? And, and so he professed faith in Christ and then um, was baptized in the creek next to his house in the <laughs> farm. Cool. So the, the, the church, we own this, the, my grandpa owned this big giant farm. Well, you know, his father owned the giant farm. And and now uh, I guess my dad and, and, and uncle and stuff will own it soon. But um, uh, there's a church building like right, pretty much situated on it. And, and then uh, that creek. But so, but he tells that, and then he ends the book as well by telling us that he loved us and that he knew he was a sinner, but he was trusting in Christ, and uh, he would see us in heaven. Hmm. And that's a comfort. Yeah, and uh, it's practical for us to think like I'm. He was prepared, and he was prepared in the most important way, which is like he knew Christ. He knew he was a sinner. He was trusting Jesus, and um, I, I was looking at I think uh, the World Health Organization, which well, they're not the most trusted resource say. <laughs> anymore. But I think they're probably a little bit more accurate on this. This is a little older statistic, okay, from a couple years ago. But it's something like one hundred fifty-five thousand people die every day. Hmm. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, and that's, that doesn't really show any favorites. Mm-hmm. Like it's young, old, fat, skinny, healthy, not healthy. People die every day. And to be prepared for that. Well, I mean, that's the whole point of what we, we one of the whole points of what we do as Christians is, is to be ready yeah. to meet Christ, to meet our maker. But then um, another aspect of that preparation was it wasn't a, just a selfish thing. Not that I'm saying that like having faith in Christ is a selfish thing. But what I mean is it wasn't just he was prepared for himself. He was prepared for uh, others. So, uh, you know, he had already written the obituary oh, wow. for himself. <laughs> And had written in it that he died peacefully in his home, <laughs> which was true. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, you know, there was a couple times where he was in the hospital the week before, and he was very adamant about coming home. So, I mean, mm-hmm. he knew time. But he had his affairs all in order so that he would be able to pass away and then things would uh, uh, be pretty easy for those left behind. Hmm. Yeah. And you know, like his taxes 
yeah. we're we're ready and done. That's actually um, incredibly helpful to people. Yeah. Now he had the advantage of being ninety, but you know he had the funeral help planned out and all that stuff. Uh, uh, and again, I said he had the advantage of being ninety. That, that's what he's, and he had the time to prepare for that in that sense, but it wasn't out of his character is what I'm maybe trying to get at. Is yeah, that like, yeah. uh, my grandfather was always helping others, always providing, doing the things that we talk about on this show about, like he was the kind of man that we talk about on the show that like builds fights, protects and, and leads. So, um, I was going. I was just wanting to start out of the gate with like, that's been very helpful for me. It's an it's been an encouragement to me to think about um, the legacy I'm leaving. Um, it, already this year at our church, we had already one of my focuses this year has been to focus on building up and training up new leaders and and like a, a kind of a catchphrase that we've had this year is who's on deck. <laughs> and he's not on first he's on deck mm. but uh, uh um like who's coming after me who's coming after you know and you're you're sitting in a pew who's coming after you all right you, you may not be a pastor or an elder but you still are a valuable impact for the kingdom you should be at least if you're a christian you've been left here for a purpose and you've got talents that you're not to waste, squander. And uh, part of that, I think, is training up people to come behind you. And uh, that's probably the hardest part of organizations to do is like the the baton toss or yeah, the, yeah. The, the baton handoff. Mm -hmm. It's the hardest part of any kind of relay race. But I, I think part of it is because people just don't think about that until it's the last minute yeah yeah absolutely so it's it's been i'd already been thinking about that seeing how well he was prepared and how he took care of you know even in he he, he died well even in his death he took care of us hmm. uh and and that's why i said it was a good time this weekend like it, there was joy we were able to like it's almost like the whole family together in a way that we haven't been in a while because we've all grown and there's a whole lot more of us. Yeah, for sure. It was kind of like, this is a kind of like a final gift. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, uh, I thought that that's encouraged me to be thinking even more about who's, who are we training up behind us? I mean, it's what we're doing this, this podcast for, right. Mm -hmm. Is to, to equip the younger men, others to, to step in and, uh, take their place in the battle lines. Yeah. So, uh, um, one of the things I wanted to uh, maybe let me tell a little bit more about him. So, like I said, I think he grew up on a farm, and uh, he uh, he tells in here, uh, you know, he honors his parents in the beginning of his autobiography. But oh, something I left out about that story I wanted to tell you about the, the woman that actually led him to the Lord. Mm -hmm. Would later on, when his mother passed away, get married to his dad and become his step stepmom. Oh, wow! 
That's a small world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. And so I can I can remember her like uh, I can remember her when I was younger. <laughs> she was she was a good woman too. But um, you know, one of the things as he writes his autobiography, the thing that another thing that really stuck out through his whole story was his like hard work his whole life in a way that like I I don't know and. Uh, I don't think many people in our generation know it. Um, uh, it, it is kind of funny, but he, he says like, he talks about the school that they went to. And he says, my first school experience was at Lick Run School. And my teacher was my mother's sister-in-law, my aunt Marie Burton. My earliest memory wasn't necessarily a pleasant one. It was a time when I needed to use the outhouse and my teacher would not let me go. So I had an accident on stage. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and I think the teacher felt bad after that. And he said, my sister and I attended that school for about five years. And after it closed, we were transferred to the Spinagle school, another place in West Virginia. And since that school was three miles away, my sister and I got paid 10 cents a mile for walking to school. And we thought we were rich <laughs> later on when he, when he goes to the, to the, uh, high school, he uh, he not only had to walk three miles, he also had to uh, um, to ride the school bus like any other like ten miles and stuff. Oh wow! And so every day, and he doesn't say this, but I'm, I'm thinking it might have been walking three miles uphill both ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, he also sometimes rode his horse to school, so that's kind of funny to, to think yeah. about. So. Reading this autobiography, I feel like in one sense, I'm kind of going back in time and reading like Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But uh, he told, uh, uh, um, he, he told just all the times he would come home from school and have to, you know, clean out the barn, have to uh, clean out the manure and, and spread that every day. And, um, Help butcher the hogs, kill the chickens. Actually, my grandpa didn't like to eat chicken. And he says one of the reasons is that uh, he had to cut their heads off every Saturday because they would always have a family over on ch after church on Sunday oh, to yeah. eat chickens. Yeah. And, and so. Yeah, it might, that might, uh, might do it for you. Yeah. But um, my grandfather got, you know, he got married to my grandma and. They uh, they lived on the farm for a little bit. It was a very difficult time in the country, like World War II time. All that's kind of going on. Uh, there was the Great Depression that happened, and f you when you read about it from like economists or historians, they set a certain time period, and they forgot West Virginia. And what I mean is, they usually end it. And it continued for quite a while in West Virginia. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah. And and more rural places. And so uh, even though uh, my grandfather was born on the tail end of that and was, you know, was was getting married in the 50s, which the country starts coming back to, after World War II, mm -hmm. it was still a while. And so there was hard times finding jobs in West Virginia. But he actually got uh, drafted in the military. And um, he always told this story. Uh, growing up, which I thought was real funny, was that he was he was newly married. They drafted him, sent him off to 
basic training, and uh, that was in uh, South Carolina. And then they were going to send him over to to Germany. Oh wow! And so his wow. wife actually moved to South Carolina because they thought that might be where he was going to be stationed. Yeah. And so uh, I think it was like the night before he was going to be deployed, and she wasn't going to be able to go with him to Germany. Uh, he was supposed to do uh, guard duty. And so he wanted to spend it with his wife, obviously. So he paid, <laughs> he paid, he paid somebody to, to do the shift. And the person did not oh, no. do the shift. Oh. And so his sergeant got jumped all over him and made him dig a, a six foot ditch with a little, like a, a little entrenching tool. You usually use them to dig like for pottying and stuff. Yeah. Something smaller. Yeah. yeah. It's like a little small thing. We had to dig foxholes with them. They take a while, but so he made him dig a big six foot ditch or a big hole. And then this, the drill sergeant or the, the sergeant threw a cigarette butt in it and told him to cover it up. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then the sergeant felt bad and was like, I saw your wife sitting there this whole time. And I feel bad about it. So what you should do is go get your money, beat that guy up and get your money back. <laughs> <laughs> and my grandpa just wrote in here. He said, well, I told him I would get my money back and I did. So <laughs> he didn't tell us exactly how he did that, but yeah. he did. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then he, you know, he was in Germany. He, uh, he drove for the, the uh, captain over there. He got a job being the captain's driver. And then the colonel's driver, who, you know, the colonel's higher, way up higher, mm-hmm. uh, uh, got sent home. You know, his tour was over. And he had he had talked to my grandpa about, would you like to become the new driver? And so, yeah. And he went and talked to the colonel. And the colonel was like, yeah, you're driving for me today. Well, they forgot to communicate that to the captain. And so the captain, like, came and was chewing out my grandpa all over the place and uh, was going to try to court martial him hmm. for being a wall. And then the Colonel came to his rescue and <laughs> well, good ended up chewing. He called the captain and said, he didn't work for you no more. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. And then, uh, because the Colonel would be so busy, my grandpa told the Colonel just like in passing that, like sometimes I get to the chow line late and they don't have food or it's cold and uh and i can and my grandpa would tell me that like when he told the colonel that the colonel was like i got you so he called the the you know the chow place the mess hall and he told them he's like i don't care if spurgeon comes in at two in the morning you better have a hot plate of food for him oh wow wow nice (laughs) and so and then uh grandpa drove a tank for quite a while there in germany and was finally able to to come home. You know, he, he had a, uh, um, when we buried him, he, he was able to get a, a veteran's uh, a, a funeral. If you've ever seen that with yeah. the, and, and that, that's a pretty, that's a pretty uh, good thing. I, mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. Um, that kind of made that part uh, special. But a whole lot of the story is just talking about like the work that he did. A lot of like, just scraping to get by, working two jobs, working uh, and going to school after he gets back. And then 
uh, you know, the, the birth of his children. One of the things that was very comforting was uh, a story that they were they were in they were back visiting in West Virginia because they lived in Michigan, and uh, they were headed back to Michigan from West Virginia. They just had the little children with them, and they got about halfway. There was this big blizzard, and the roads got so bad that like they got stuck on the interstate, and they didn't have any, like it was kind of an unexpected thing. So they didn't really have any coats. Oh, wow. And yeah, it's not a good time. Yeah. And they were, they were stuck out there for quite a while. And somebody came and was like with a snowmobile and was like, we can take you up. They're like, we can't do it. Like these children don't have any coats. Hmm. And they're like, what are you going to do? And so uh, he writes in here. One of the kids asked him, what are we going to do? You know, what are we going to do, dad? He said, we're going to pray. And he did. As soon as he did, somebody came from behind and they had cleared out a path behind and was able to get them to turn around and go back to a, a, there was a a place they could stay. But again, that was a comfort to me to to see his trusting the Lord in those kind of situations. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole lot in this. I'm not going to go through his, his whole life on here, but the, the thing that stuck out for me is, is my, my grandfather, and I knew this even, I didn't have to read this to know this, was hardworking. Uh, he built built stuff with wood. Like he helped build our, our we had a, a garage, a two-story garage in, in the back of our house growing up. He helped build that. And, and he, the bed that my wife and I, our bed frames, he, he made all that. Um, and so uh, he was very, very handy, very, very good at uh, working and working for other people. He was just always making things for other people. And that's kind of the thing that, you know, one our, our talk here, building. And he set the example for that and building for other people, not just for himself. All right. Uh, that was the, the thing when, uh, at the funeral, how many people were just had stuff from him that were there and, you know, like, yeah. and had good accounts of his help, uh, helping them at times when they needed to get help. Uh, so, um, if you ever wanted though, wondered where I also get my lovely, wonderful, amazing earth shattering sense of humor, <laughs> goodness <laughs> uh, uh, he had a pretty good sense of humor as well in fact um, he would write some songs like so he, he was uh, he uh, my his sister was a music teacher and, and went to college for music and stuff and she would come home with like this new instrument like that she's learning and trying to figure it all out and like he would just grab it and pick it up and play it <laughs> and she'd be so frustrated at him. <laughs> and so like he would play stuff by ear. And so he, he wrote several little songs and, and, um, uh, some of them were quite funny. Uh, in fact, I, I want you to play one for us when we finish up here that he wrote, it's called uh, the nagging wife blues. And I thought <laughs> he loved his wife and his <laughs> wife, I mean, they were married 70 years. So, 
this was a it's a funny thing kind yeah. of uh he also kind of lost his hearing and for the last, what, 20 some years, maybe had a little implant or, uh, in his head to help him hear things didn't sound right. So some of his musical stuff went down from there, but with growing up, man, he always sang barbershop quartets and the choir had a deep bass voice. So, uh, but this nagging wife blues, I, I think you'll play when we finish up is a, uh, pretty funny song it's it's pretty good <laughs> and um so he must have been the original misogynist if you think about it with the, the <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah of the patriarchy with go. this song but no he uh <laughs> um it's hard to, to to put it all in in the words there's so many uh, stories that i can count my biggest actual personally memories are driving up to the farm with him to go hunting every year We'd ride up and listen to a lot of jazz music on the way. And uh, uh, that was always really good. Also, just uh, we, well, growing up, we were at their house every Sunday after church. And and that was a blessing. I remember him driving us around on his tractor in his yard quite a bit. And so there, there's a lot of memories. And I appreciate you kind of letting me well, you know, ramble on about it all, but <laughs> no problem. Uh, you know, the, one of the things I, I think we ought to be able to do is honor our fathers, honor those who come behind before us, and uh, uh, his uh, his life. And now, you know, even like that, like I said, the way he died is uh, an example for me, and I, I want to carry on that legacy well. And I guess the encouragement and so application for our listeners and all this is be like my grandpa, man, like work hard, <laughs> work hard without getting a whole lot of like, it's not about you work hard for others, build things, honor, you know, uh, the, the calls of duty that God calls you to. He was drafted and went and did it cheerfully. There was, I've never heard him complain about that at, at all. Never once. And so God sometimes calls us into things and we're tempted to, to complain and grumble. Never heard. I mean, and, and, and you got to think they were just newly married too. And so um, that's got to have been terrible to go away from your wife for almost two years after just getting married. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so there's a whole lot of things. And I'm sure listeners out there probably have stories from their own grandparents uh, and that generation, this was a whole lot we can learn from those who come before us. I feel like so many guys spend all their times blasting the people that come before them, right? This whole like boomer pill stuff. Yeah, yeah. I know. I mean, my grandfather wasn't a boomer, but uh, I know a lot of godly boomers, and uh, we you blast their wisdom. Oh, it's just outdated. Uh, well, the problem might be that you're a fool and you don't know how to uh, take wisdom from them and apply it into your day in a fresh new way. Yep. Exactly. So there's principles there that last and uh, go beyond just that time, right? You're not going to ride a horse to your middle school like my grandpa did. But... Yeah, that would be kind of fun, though. It would be fun. 
<laughs> but what, are, what, like, what, what can you learn? What can you learn? Yeah, that obviously education is important. Uh, how about, like, how many middle schoolers do you think are you could actually trust to ride a horse, let alone care enough to take a horse with them and keep them all day, right? And and care for it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and bring that to our day. Not necessarily horses, but what else are there? There's other things that you could apply it to. So, uh, well, that, that's kind of what I wanted to, to talk about. And I, um, I'm kind of just encouraged by being able to remember my grandfather. There's so many stories I could tell, but uh, very thankful for him and thankful for the heritage that God has given me. So you should start writing some of the stories, just make posts on Facebook about them. People can follow you and read them. It'd be kind of cool. Yeah. That'd be a good idea. That's yeah. A good idea. I have a lot of tons of stories about my grandpa as well. And, but yeah, we'd probably fill hours and hours of episodes <laughs> if we went there. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to take this book that we've gotten and I'm, 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 I'm thinking about trying to reset it and be able to get it up on Amazon, like a Kindle book. Yeah, that's actually and, I was thinking of that while you were reading it. Yeah, because I, I, you know, I didn't hardly touch it in this episode, but I would just like to have it like for uh, prosperity, not prosperity, uh, posterity, posterity's sake. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to get a lot of <laughs> prosperity <laughs> rich from it, though. There, are the, the riches are in it for yeah. me. Certainly. Yeah, absolutely. And that is our episode for this week. We hope you were as encouraged as we were by Joseph's grandfather and his legacy. And though I didn't do a lot of talking this episode, I enjoyed it more than most. I, for one, hope I leave behind a legacy like that. One that's both humble and bold, filled with repentance and growth, and ultimately one that points people to Christ. And so should we all. So as you think back on this episode in the coming weeks, my challenge to you is this. Find an older man in the faith in your own life. Perhaps your father, perhaps your grandfather, perhaps a wise man at your church, but find a good man that loves the Lord and ask him to impart to you wisdom from the years that God has given him thus far. And then, just listen. And when he enters the room, rise to your feet and greet him. And when he's done talking to you, rise to your feet, thank him, and bid him a good farewell. And that's your homework, gentlemen, to get to it. So until next time, If you have not yet bowed your knee to Christ, repent and believe. And if you have, this is our call to you. Build, fight, protect, lead. This is the patriarchy. Clean out the ashes, fix the kitchen sink. Carry out the garbage, cause it's beginning to stink. You got the nagging wife blues, they do it every time. You got the nagging wife blues, they cause the pain in your behind. Get out of the kitchen, you're getting in my hair. Don't turn on the TV and stay out of your easy chair. You got the nagging wife blues, they do it every time. You got the nagging wife blues, they cause the pain in your behind. You get out the mower, you gotta cut the grass. 
You try to start the mower, but the engine's out of gas. You got the nagging wife blues. They'll do it every time. You got the nagging wife blues. They cause a pain in your behind. You turn on the TV to watch your favorite game. But with the sweeper running, it just ain't the same. You got the nagging wife blues. They'll do it every time. You got the nagging wife blues. They cause a pain in your behind. You get out the golf clubs, you take a swing or two. She says, put away those golf clubs, I've got things for you to do. You got the nagging wife blues. They'll do it every time. You got the nagging wife blues. It cause a pain in your behind. She hands you your coat. She hands you your hat. She says, now get to walking and get rid of some of that fat. You got the nagging wife blues. They'll do it every time. You got the nagging wife blues. It cause a pain in your behind. You go take a bath and you jump into bed. The wife says, go to sleep, I got a pain in my head. You got the nagging wife blues. They do it every time. You got the nagging wife blues. It goes a pain in your behind. Do, 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 do. Grandpa, get in here and help me with the dishes.